It's Alex, one of the hosts of Death by Music podcast. Now, if you have not listened to part one of Jim Morrison, then scooch on back to last week. This is part two. It comes from our 27 Club Patreon season. If you would like to listen to the rest of that season, you can subscribe to us for $5 a month on Patreon by searching Death by Podcast Team. Going forward, next Wednesday, we are releasing Phil Spector Part 1 and Part 2 the Wednesday after that. Then we're going to take a week-long break because Cassie is going out of town for a week, and we will return with John Lennon Parts 1 and 2 as your Season 4 finale. I keep getting, you might know this person, it's Jake's profile. I'm like, I do know that person, but he's not going to add me back. He'll never add me back. Um, speaking of Facebook stuff, I um, I tried to poke you the other day. Oh my God, did they take it down? Remember I, when no, we were no, doing no. that back and forth forever? You ended it. So you can't poke somebody until they've poked you back. And like three years ago, I poked you and you never poked me back. So when I went to go poke you, I'm I couldn't do it. I couldn't okay. fucking do it. Because you have not returned to the poke. All right. Alex is looking for a good old poke, y'all. Let's yes. get her poked now. Yes. Um, yeah, there is a, a secret part of Facebook where you can still poke people. <laughs> um, it's not like a normal thing anymore. You have to type in Facebook pokes into the search thing, and then it takes you to the pokes page, and then you can poke people. Hmm. Um, this is interesting. Ridiculous. Yeah. This is getting ridiculous. <laughs> I could literally poke you. You're sitting right here. Any uh, interesting cat stories? Oh, shit. Yeah, there isn't. <laughs> oh, my God. Alex Thank poked you. you 10 times in a row in October of 2017. That's what I said. It's been like four years since you poked me oh back, bitch. Poke you. me. Poke some other people, too. See Ooh. if they poke you back during the show. <laughs> <laughs> Who would actually do it? Um. Yes, I do have. A, I'm. Thank you for reminding me of that, Jake, because I do have a very interesting cat story. So uh, I woke up. Over the weekend, and it was so fucking cold in my neighborhood that a pipe burst. So I get up in the morning, and I had been drinking the night before. There you go. Right. So the next morning, I woke up. I was so dehydrated. All I wanted was a glass of water, and I checked my phone, and I have a message from the neighborhood that says, sorry, a pipe burst. We turned off the water for the whole neighborhood. And I was like, fuck, because I didn't have any water in my house. <laughs> And I also just really wanted to take a shower. So I looked down at the cat bowls and the cat bowls are also empty. And I was like, fuck, I can't. I can die of dehydration, but not my cats. Right. I got to get them some water. And then I remembered, you know, I, I probably have a water bottle or something in my car. So I went to go out to my car. But my cat Beans, he gets really annoying in the mornings because if I approach the door he runs up to the door and he's like new and he like reaches up for the um doorknob and he tries to like keep me from going um and he tries to like keep me from grabbing the doorknob because when i try to grab it he's like wah, wah, like slaps my hand out of the way and i was like not today bitch you're going outside with me Uh-oh. So, <laughs> i go out to I, I have the door so i picked him up um i take a couple of steps out and you know i'm trying to make sure he's not gonna freak out and like jump out of my arms and run away i continue walking to my car and then, as I get to the door, 
fucking piss all over me. Just, I just feel the splash of warmth. Ew, and you can't shower. <laughs> exactly. So I feel the splash of warmth down my pants, and I was like, what the fuck? And I looked down, and there's a puddle of piss on the floor, and there's a fucking piss all down my pants, and I was like, you God damn it. You taking to the bed or something? So, <laughs> so he's very scared of everything. Um, he was super chill on that road trip. On that road, when he was a baby kitten, yeah, yeah. he didn't give a shit. But the, when I took him over to your house that one time, he pissed on the way there and he pissed on the way back. Mm. Uh, anyway, speaking of other people that have probably pissed on themselves, today we are doing part two of Jim Morrison on the podcast. And uh, we've got some ground to cover. It's only downhill from here. We are breaking on through to the other side of the Jim Morrison story. That's right. And on that note, welcome everybody to Death by Music Podcast. I am Jake. Got Cassie and Alex here. And like we just said, part two of Jim Morrison. Oh, so where we last left off was... Oh, yeah. We should after, recap. Yeah, they did... Um, they had Light My Fire. They went on the Ed Sullivan Show, performed it. Kind of got kicked off. Yeah, they never were allowed back again. Yep. But it was a huge song, and it, and it shot them up the charts and like into international fame. So this is good. Now it's time to work on a second album. But uh, before that, you know, it's between 1966 and 1967, Jim Morrison's alcohol consumption grew. He was also known to be using LSD, mescaline, and very occasionally heroin. The substance abuse that Jim once believed helped his creativity quickly began to hinder it. He was unable to write anything when he was fucked up, and when he was able to write, it was clear that his poeticism had taken a sharp decline. Paul Rothschild, a producer for The Door, said Jim was really two very distinct and different people, a Jekyll and Hyde. When he was sober, he was Jekyll, the most erudite, balanced, friendly kind of guy. He was Mr. America. When he would start to drink, he'd be okay at first, and then suddenly he would turn into a maniac, turn into Hyde. The Doors returned to Sunset Sound Recorders in Hollywood in between tour dates to work on their second album, Strange Days. In this time, they were allowed to uh, they were allowed the use of a brand new eight track machine, which gave them more room to experiment and manipulate their sound. On this album, they were also using some new instruments like the marimba and the Moog synthesizer, lending to one of the first uses of synth in rock music history. Neat. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you sound very intrigued, Jake. Yeah. My favorite thing is writing and reading <laughs> and speaking. <laughs> We've combined all three. You said you wanted to be here. here. God damn it. What am I doing with my life? But yeah, on the on the uh, subject of uh, the Moog, Moog synthesizer, get my tongue twisted there. On the subject of the Moog synthesizer, you guys want to hear some cool shit? Look up "Switched on Bach" by Walter Carlos, now known as Wendy Carlos. It was released in 1968. Uh, it's all Bach on Moog synthesizer, mm. and was a key album in bringing the synth sound to the world. Uh, that sounds interesting. It's really so cool. My dad had a copy of it, and I kind of stole it from him, and it's an awesome, awesome CD. Cool. I want to hear that. Yeah. Uh, unfor- it is not, it's not on Spotify, unfortunately. Yeah. At least probably, the last time I looked. It's probably too, too specific. <laughs> uh, so the... What are you doing? Oh, are you um, going to play it? I was, there was a song called The Moog and Me, and I thought it was funny, but the guy's name was Dick Hyman. <laughs> really? <laughs> 
<laughs> and I'm 12 years old. How yeah. unfortunate. Yeah. I wonder I, if that was like his It might be intentional. Awesome parents. <laughs> his parents are just fucking perverts. All right. So the resulting album, Strange Days, can be described as acid or psychedelic rock with the lead single being People Are Strange. That peaked in September of 1967 at number 12 on the charts. Morrison had written this one after coming out of a deep depression. He took a walk around a long, mm, he took a walk along Laurel Canyon in Hollywood Hills and he sat up on a ridge looking out over the city and all of a sudden the lyrics just came to him. He wrote them down on a crumpled up piece of paper that he had. The song describes being alienated and an outsider. Another song from the album Love Me Two Times was written by Manzarek and described multiple orgasms he says it reached number 25 but was banned on the radio in several areas for being too risque because of the orgasms yes just two though that, that's a big hurdle <laughs> what's that noise just continue yeah since it, <laughs> since it's 1967 i figured i'd mention the mini episode we did on jim's 1967 shelby gt500 if you haven't heard that story, go check it out. It's one of my first episodes here on Death by Music Podcast, and you get to hear me repeat myself over and over and over again. Did you go back and listen to it? No. Well, no. I remember listening to it the first time, and I kept saying, yeah, he wrecked it a whole bunch, and then, like <laughs> I said it like 10 times. I think and that I figured was... you would have edited that out, but it's all still in there. Oh, well, <laughs> my bad. said it a whole bunch. Yeah. Was it your first episode, or was it your It was se- that first day of recording. That topic was your idea to cover, yeah. and you were going to cover it, and then you were like, hey, uh, can I be on the show? And we were like, uh, yeah, we were going to do your topic anyway, so like, get your ass up here. Yeah. Uh, cool. So pause, go listen to that, <laughs> and now see how far Jake has come. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. All right. The album. Let me get a ruler. <laughs> There's a tape measure in the next room. <laughs> Gross. It's got to be some kind of record. <laughs> the album, Strange Days, did pretty damn well overall. It hit number three and remained on the U.S. albums charts for 63 weeks. But it could not eclipse the popularity of The Doors' debut album, which was still in the top 10 albums over 10 months after it was released. It maxed out at 122 weeks on the album's charts. In December of 1967, Jim Morrison earned himself another superlative. He was the first rock artist to be arrested on stage. This happened at the New Haven Arena in Connecticut. Or I'm glad you pronounced that correctly. Connecticut. It's the same state that banned Love Me Two Times from the radio. Tough crowd. Yale prudes. Indeed. Mm. As the story goes, Jim had been making out with a girl before the show began in a bathroom shower stall backstage. Nice. Yeah. The police officer came into the bathroom and he told the two that they had to leave. Somehow he was unaware that Morrison was in the band that was about to play, despite the fact that they were literally backstage. Like he is where he is allowed to be. Whatever. Morrison told the police officer, eat it. To which the police officer responded by taking out his can of mace with a warning. Last chance. Last chance to eat it, Morrison told the officer, and was promptly maced. <laughs> what, a, what a dick. 
He sounds like Bart Simpson. <laughs> yeah, I can see this this whole scenario being like some kind of uh, uh, scene in a comedy movie. It was the Doors movie by Oliver Stone. Oh shit! Well, I got to no. watch it now. It was in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, we we all need to watch this together over Christmas break. Go pause, rewind it. Go pause, rewind it. That's one why more the movie's so long. He go. Uh, now, obviously. Jim Morrison, he just got maced by the cops. He could not go on stage after that, so the show was delayed for about an hour. Apparently, police didn't see the macing as a fit enough punishment for him making out with a girl in the bathroom. They wanted Morrison charged, but I don't know, like, with what? Mocking a police officer? Talking shit to the law? I'm pretty sure that you can say fuck you to a cop and not get charged, like, if, for that, specifically. I don't... I wouldn't try it. I don't know. The cops have beaten people for less. Doesn't make it right, obviously, but it's happened. But I think just saying legally, if right, there legally. were a police officer in front of you <laughs> and you had done nothing else except for, say, fuck you, I think you can do that. <clears throat> but they were like, uh-uh, we're going to get him. What did you look up? Can you say fuck you to a cop on Google? I said, can you get arrested for cursing at a cop? It says several federal court decisions have found that expressing contempt for police officers is protected under the First Amendment. Hell yeah! However, well, individual state laws that do not directly pertain to officers, such as statutes for disorderly conduct, curse, and abuse, can legally be used in like arresting someone. But you still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It, it only takes structure. And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Know what I mean? So do do your homies uh got a role in your, in your little, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. We all, we all artists over here, man. I'm trying, right? Yeah, oh, I'm trying, yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying, oh, yeah. I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah. yeah. Damn, me, me. Yo, look, 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 look. We all artists, man. We go, you feel me? We going to have this, like. Bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kyle, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit. Right now. With this I gotta lie, we play with this shit right now for real. For oh, I gotta don't lie. play with it. Don't play with it. No. Take that shit seriously. So what if you say, um, "Excuse me, officer, fuck you," respectfully? You're not disturbing the peace because you said it nicely. I'm- Anyways, Morrison did not help matters. Um, he took the stage. After an hour, you know, once his eyes were all better. And he improvised a whole profanity-laced song talking shit about the cops and describing what happened backstage. The cops happened to be standing at the foot of the stage as he did this, and they ended up dragging him down. The crowd was already irritated because the band came on an hour late, and now with the show completely stopped and Morrison on his way to a police station, a riot unfolded. Morrison was charged with inciting the riot, indecency, and public obscenity. But here's another thing that I'm like, well, is it really public obscenity if it's in a club that people paid to be in? Seems like private property to me. I don't know. Maybe laws are different back then, but like a private club seems like it's a bullshit charge. Anyways, the the charges ended up being dropped as there was a lack of evidence. Early in 1968, Jim's drunkenness started to concern his bandmates. He was getting mean. Sorry. <laughs> I'm about to get mean. I literally just opened my mouth. That like that scared me. I'm sorry. How do you scare yourself? Because I wasn't supposed to be there. I literally just opened my mouth. Oh my god. Jesus Christ. I think I'm going to cut the whole all of it out. It's all coming out. I don't know. Can you keep the burp thing in? 
Yeah, if I can somehow segue to the rest of it. Or just right. keep it for, like, just keep that Cassie, section. Listen. Cassie Burt. Listen. Listen, though. But you don't have to keep it in this, but just keep it for, like, reference. So that we have, like, a file of it somewhere. I'm going to index all of your burps. <laughs> and then put a compilation together. It'll be, a, be a website quote. Burp. <laughs> what was that yours? was yours? Jake's. That's Jake's quote. Fuck. Mine's going to be fuck. It's going to say burp, burp, fuck <laughs> in the margins for the website. No, burp, yawn. <laughs> burp, yawn, fuck. All right. Sounds like a good night out. I would put it burp, fuck, yawn. Sure. That's I, fine. That seems like a better order to me. Anyways. Early. In 1968, Jim's drunkenness started to concern his bandmates. He was getting mean, and they almost broke up the band out of frustration from their lack of progress. That's really quick, though. They've only been at it for a couple years now, haven't they? Yeah. Just, just. Yeah, like three years. Yeah. Instead, they hired a friend to be Jim's handler and keep him from drinking so much. But that didn't last long because the two of them ended up being drinking buddies. Uh, bro, you had one job. If you can't That's beat it. him, join him. Hey, mm. I'm with Jake. <laughs> Cheers, motherfucker. His, jobs too seriously. <laughs> his alcohol consumption was also affecting his relationship with Pam. They began to have huge fights, which would which would result in Jim becoming hugely depressed, threatening suicide, and then drinking even more. By April 1968, the Doors were ready to work on a new album, but tensions were rising following Jim's increased substance dependence. The group went into the studio to work on a third album, Waiting for the Sun, which is fucking awesome, uh, when their producer rejected Jim's song, Celebration of the Lizard. Not only was it 17 minutes long, it just wasn't seen as very commercially acceptable. Good call on the producer's part, because the disinclusion of that song probably helped Waiting for the Sun to hit number one on the Billboard charts, which was a first for the Doors. He made up that word. What? Disinclusion? Yeah. It sounded right. Hey. It's good enough for me. <laughs> y'all didn't fucking correct it, so the disclusion, I'll give you that one, of the song probably helped Waiting for the Sun to hit number one on the Billboard charts, which was a first for the Doors. Hello, I Love You hit Aww. number one. Oh, no. Song. No, I wasn't Darn. saying that to okay. you, because I fucking hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I Love You hit number one and was almost the subject of a copyright infringement lawsuit. The Kinks had a hit four years prior with All Day and All of the Night, which is insanely similar, but Ray Davies chose not to sue. Did you guys listen to both of these? I didn't have I a did. chance I did. They're both to. on the playlist. Did you? I didn't get a chance to, no. And here's the doors. Oh, shit. I never put that together because it's, it's it feels like it's kind of down tuned, but uh, it and seems also a little slowed bit slower. down. Yeah, it's slower. Um, it's what they call now the interpolation. Oh, yeah. So Ray Davies chose not to sue, which is cool, even though um his brother was like brother. He was pissed. Um, sure. Many of the Doors concerts during this time were pretty rowdy between the crowd and the police. The fans seemed to love watching Jim killing himself um which only encouraged him finally the group flew to europe for their first international shows like they had not even been out of the united states at this point and they played at the roadhouse in london and performed dates with jefferson airplane 
At one of these shows, Manzarek had to fill in for Jim after he passed out on stage. Yeah, according to bandmates, Jim was always nodding off at inopportune moments in the studio before and after concerts. And on September 15th, 1968, he passed out on stage during that performance. Hey, understandable. Yeah. It's boring. Before the show... (laughs) Both bands, Jefferson Airplane and The Doors, were walking around the streets of Amsterdam, you know, just doing touristy stuff. However, Doors fans started handing the band members all sorts of narcotics. Ah. Now, according to the DVD documentary The Doors Live in Europe 1968, Jefferson Airplane's Grace Slick and Paul Cantor recalled that while everyone accepting the drugs that took a hit of a joint here and there, they passed it on or pocketed them for later, Morrison smoked and ingested everything that the fans were handing to him that afternoon. So when it came time for the show to go on, Morrison was backstage, very squinty eyed. Um, Jefferson airplane started playing. Jim began to dance as almost if all the drugs hit him all at once. And he just toppled over. He was hauled to a local hospital and the rest of the band was struggling whether or not to cancel the show, just go on without him. So the band was honestly so used to Morrison's unreliability. They took the stage without him and Manzarek covered vocals too. And the audience was impressed how much he sounded like Morrison without, you know, the drugged out mumbles. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty fucking handy to have on deck when your singer is um, fucked up. So props. Uh, When they had returned to the United States, the Doors played several more dates and began work on their fourth album, releasing Touch Me, their third and final number one hit at the end of 1968. By this point, Jim was allegedly drinking three bottles of cognac a day, which is, what is that, brandy? Oh, it's brandy. Oh, so it's just another another name for (laughs) brandy. So it's it's distilled wine. It's like distilled wine would be like way, way stronger than regular wine. Uh, yeah, I'm just... I mean, oh, yeah. Even drinking three bottles of wine, Cassie can attest... Pass the kvass. She's just going to cry. <laughs> three and is he too was many. Three. Two is too many. Three is way too many. And he was doing that in addition to many beers. His sure. bandmates feared Gross. that he was going to drink himself to death. Yeah, really. I mean, even Lemmy limited uh, himself to like one bottle a day. Ew. I don't know the difference in percentage between cognac and Jack Daniels, but still, that's yeah. Drinking yeah. three bottles of anything on top of beer—it's mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's slightly excessive, I would say. I wonder how much water he was drinking. He probably considered the beer to be water. Uh, sometimes he would throw in benzedrine and coke while his girlfriend Pamela was secretly doing heroin. Wasn't she mad at him for doing drugs before? No, no, no. That, that was, was the an other old, day. Oh, old okay. girlfriend, Mary. All right. I think her name was Mary. Mary, yeah. So she was like, "You probably shouldn't be doing that." That was way early on, and then oh, okay. he started dating Pam. And from what I read, he had Pamela had to hide the fact that she was doing heroin because he wasn't super into it, even though he had done it a couple of times. At- probably himself but uh now you think that it would be impossible probably to one-up the show where jim morrison was arrested on stage the first rock star ever arrested on stage but somehow he managed to outdo himself and almost break up the band in the process it was march 1st 1969 and jim had been drinking all day how the fuck is he not severely dehydrated all the time i don't know i don't even like doesn't make any sense i don't fucking get it i've been trying to drink four cups of water a day and i'm still dehydrated imagine just drinking three bottles of fucking liquor every single goddamn day doesn't add up it's like how does that work i don't know dude well this is probably why he died at age 27 so i don't know why we're asking questions uh, yeah 
Um, so it's something to do with it. On that day, Jim missed his flights to Miami, where the band was supposed to perform at the Dinner Key Auditorium, which was a converted sea airplane hangar. Um, there was not any air conditioning. And keep in mind, it's Florida. It's March. It's pretty hot. Uh, the promoter had the seats removed from the hangar to pack out the place and sell more tickets. So not only are they in this giant hangar that is supposed to fit 7,000, they've got 12,000 crammed in there. So they're 5,000 people over capacity it's and it's hot as fuck. Sounds like a horrible time. Yeah. Is it really that gross in uh, March? I mean, in, uh, Florida. I've been. I don't know what it was. It is, I don't know what it was south, like in so. 1969, but um, I've been to Florida probably five or six times now for Bike Week in March, and it can be anywhere from like the 60s to like 100 degrees. It it just depends. Wow. It's warm. Global warming. That's a, that's it's a warm. big swing. Yeah, I mean there there were times like during Bike Week where I would be out on stand in the shade and I'd be freezing my ass off, but I was also wearing like. Not much, um, but like 60s, 70s. Um, it's it's like 70 degrees in December. So March is really when you can start going to the beach in March. Huh? Yeah, it's warm. It's really warm. Uh, Jim showed up an hour late to this show because he had missed his flights. He had also decided that it would be fun to antagonize the crowd. Um, he would start and stop singing. And when he was actually singing, his voice was kind of shit. He'd also recently seen a theater group and liked how they had taunted the crowd and got them riled up. So he thought he'd give it a whirl. Morrison shouted at the crowd, Love me! I can't take it no more without no good love. I want some lovin'. Ain't nobody gonna love my ass. <laughs> and then he said, <laughs> You're all a bunch of fucking idiots. So he really changed the tune there. And then he continued repeating the phrase, What are you gonna do about it? Uh, so he's just trying to piss everybody off. Well, it kind of seemed to work. The band just kept going. They started the song Touch Me, but then they were stopped by Jim screaming his fool head off. And then Morrison stole the hat of a cop and he threw the hat into the crowd. It was a fucking circus, complete with animals. Apparently one crowd goer actually had a sheep with him. Was the sheep counted in the overcapacity total? Also, did the guy have to buy the sheep a ticket? That's my question. These are good questions. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's charming. The guy just wanted to bring his girlfriend to a concert. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, let me get this straight. You're against marrying teenagers, but sheep, it's fair game. They're I just mean, dating. if that's what he's into. They're just dating. Yeah. Yeah. They, that's, They're not that's, married. they didn't get married. That's that's the whole thing. So I guess the crowd was just as fucked up as Jim was. Uh, somebody jumped up on stage and they soaked Jim with a bottle of champagne, prompting him to take his shirt off. I'm too sexy for my shirt. Too sexy for my shirt. So sexy it hurt. <laughs> Anyways, he got champagne poured all over himself. He started to take his shirt off, and then Jim told the crowd to also get naked. To complete the sex, drugs, and rock and roll trope, Jim started humping his shirt. Ray Manzarek described the whole show as a mass religious hallucination. Sounds kind of fun, to be honest. I don't know. I've never humped a shirt a day in my life. I tell you what, <laughs> you haven't lived a day in your life until you've had a good shirt humping. Okay, well, I'm going to have to try that tonight. <laughs> Woo! Uh, four days later, there was a warrant out for Jim's arrest. They claimed that he showed his dick and balls on stage. 
He cursed, he simulated oral sex on Robbie Krieger, and that he was drunk in public. Apparently, they'd never seen a Ramstein concert before. Is that the band you were watching at work and it looked like a porn? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which we discussed in, uh, I don't know, some episode. Yeah. We we did a mini episode on Ramstein, but there was one where uh, Mon Gigginmon, it's all these greased up dudes that are like wrestling with each other. And it looks like a porn video, but it's just a music video. I promise. Mm. I don't know. You pull it up at your work and see if you get in trouble. (laughs) Uh, But yeah. So the place, what was it? Miami that they were in. They wanted to do a plea deal where the doors would play a free show in Miami. The guy that they just arrested for being obscene on stage and whipping out his dick. They said, we won't charge you if you do another show. Like, what the fuck do you think? He wasn't going to break any laws at this new plea deal show? Or was he going to get a free pass for that night? Because I cannot imagine what would have happened if he played a show where he was immune to prosecution. But he turned it down. um, And then he was convicted and sentenced to six months with hard labor and a $500 fine. But he appealed and remained out of jail. um, And then posthumously was pardoned in 2010. Well, they were about a day late and a dollar short. Yeah. Define hard labor. You know what we mean. Okay. What's up, girl? (laughs) Morrison said of the case, I wasted a lot of time and energy with the Miami trial, about a year and a half, but I guess it was a valuable experience because before the trial, I had a very unrealistic schoolboy attitude about the American judicial system. My eyes have been opened up a bit. There were guys down there, black guys, that would go each day before I went on, it took about five minutes and they would get like 20 or 25 years in jail. If I hadn't had unlimited funds to continue fighting my case, I'd be in jail right now for three years. It's just, if you have money, you generally don't go to jail. Or if you're white and a celebrity, you don't either. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he means that when he was going to court, because when you when you go to court for shit like this, whatever, it's like one person right after the next. So they're like, your case, your case, your case, your case. So he's saying that um, there would be black guys who would go up and then they would just get convicted, like open, shut, goodbye, jail, prison, bye. And with him, because he had money, they were like, "Eh, well, we'll we'll just, Mm -hmm. it didn't happen. It's not a big, no evidence, no photos of, of the dick and balls. Uh, so the inc- that incident really knocked them down a peg in the public eye. The band was forced to cancel 25 tour dates and were largely blacklisted from the radio as well. They continued playing shows whenever they could be booked and eventually built their reputation back up while working on a new album. In July of 1969, The Doors released their fourth album, The Soft Parade. They continued to expand their sound, experimenting now with brass and strings. Morrison again made it hard for them to record because, like many of our 27 Club members, he was too drunk to be reliable, both with attendance and with his vocal ability. They ended up racking up a bunch of studio costs because of this, but luckily the album was hugely successful. Yeah, the Doors definitely wanted to capitalize on the experimental sound because it was popular at the time and brought about groundbreaking music like the Beatles' White Album, Hendrix's Electric Ladyland, and much more. 
Rothschild hired Paul Harris to arrange orchestral and string elements for the Los Angeles Philharmonic and local jazz horn players. They had session musicians come in and play for the album. Even George Harrison attended one of the sessions, but he was just there as a spectator. So uh, Morrison was less involved during the studio sessions, but demanded that the, the band receive individual writing credits. Now, this was the first album, um, the first Doors album to list the band members separately rather than as a collective unit on the album. Hmm. Krieger continued to hone his songwriting skills to fill the void left by Morrison's absence. He wrote half the album's tracks while Morrison credited Morrison is credited with the other half. In November of 1969, the group started working on a fifth album, Morrison Hotel. In these 60s bands were really working and just busting shit out left and right. Like, what was it? The Stones had like three yeah, albums three in Yeah, three albums year. in one fucking year. And then like each year after that, it was like one album, two albums. Like, these guys are nuts. Yeah, it was seriously a different world back then. Yeah. I mean, because we talked about this a little bit with, um, I think it was Marvin Gaye, and talking about Motown as a machine, yeah. putting out, just like forcing their artists to put out as many singles as possible mm -hmm. and as many albums as possible. Um, yeah, they were cranking it out back then. Before Morrison Hotel could be released, Jim was once again in trouble with the law. He and his friend, actor Tom Baker, hopped a flight to Phoenix for a Rolling Stones concert where they were drunkenly harassing the airline staff on the plane. And this is pretty serious shit. When you mess with flights, you can face federal prison time. Definitely more so now than back in the 60s, I'd imagine. Especially in the last 20 years. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, Jim and Tom were charged with skyjacking, which was a fairly new charge at the time, interfering with the flight of an intercontinental aircraft. And of course, also charged with public drunkenness. Morrison's charges were dropped in April of 1970. What's crazy is he was just talking about how the American Jews judicial system opened up his eyes and there he's back to his own shit he was drunk <laughs> um in 1970 jim was asked about his drinking in an interview and he said getting drunk is a uh, getting drunk you're in complete control up to a point it's your choice every time you take a sip you have a lot of small choices it's like i guess the difference between suicide and slow capitulation 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 he also more articulately said that drinking was connected with a lot of pressure hanging over Morrison that he couldn't cope with. But three years ago, there was just a wave of hallucinogenics. And he said, I don't think anyone really has the strength to sustain those trips forever. Instead of trying to think more, you try to kill thought with alcohol and heroin and downers. Those are painkillers. Morrison Hotel saw the Doors returning to their blues rock roots with Jim returning as main songwriter. This album featured Roadhouse Blues and my favorite, Peace Frog. Morrison was drunk for the entirety of the Roadhouse Blues recordings, which is obvious if you listen to the track. <laughs> now, Peace Frog, my fave song, pulls from three of Morrison's old poems, which were called Abortion Stories, ah. Dawn's Highway, and Newborn Awakening. And this song throws mention to his arrest on stage. The lyric, blood in the streets in the town of New Haven, that's where... He was arrested on stage and then as well as the Native American crash he witnessed at the age of four. He says Indians scattered on Dawn's highway bleeding ghosts crowd the young child's fragile eggshell mind. This song is honestly metal as fuck. Check out these lyrics. There's blood in the streets. It's up to my ankles. There's blood in the streets. It's up to my knees. Blood screams her brain as they chop off her fingers. Blood will be born in the birth of a nation. Uh, that's pretty brutal. Despite being banned at several venues after riotous concerts, 
um, including Salt Lake City's Salt Palace and Detroit's Cobo Hall, the Doors were still able to place some dates in North America in early 1970. The last footage of the Doors performing was filmed at the Isle of Wight Festival in August of 1970. Uh, turns out that's Isle of Wight in England, not Isle of Wight here in Virginia. True. Jimi Hendrix died in September of 1970. Jim Morrison saw this as a foreshadowing of his own imminent death. And instead of cleaning up, he just continued to spiral further. Jim started experiencing paranoia, so Pam pushed him to see a psychiatrist. Um, he attended one session. Basically, Jim had a death wish. Once drinking three bottles of scotch in one meal, and then running into traffic on Sunset Strip. He was also smoking three packs of cigarettes a day. Ew. That's... That's bullshit. There's no way he drank three bottles and didn't pass out and throw up everywhere. I don't know. I guess it depends Tolerance. on the percentage. Or he just drank them really fast and like you know made it out in the street the before bottles, it hit him. Maybe the bottles were smaller back then. Uh, I don't. I don't know. This is like what just what people are saying. Scotch but too. Like Holy I crap. said, there's a reason why he died at 27. Yeah. yeah. You're still alive because you can only handle one bottle max per day. Not even anymore. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. We're a long ways away from that uh, Lemmy Challenge. Yeah, we did a Lemmy Challenge once, and I think we might have talked about it before, but uh, one bottle of Jack Daniels in one day was the Lemmy Challenge, and that was fucking tough for me at the time, but at the time, Jake was drinking a lot, and Jake finished his bottle early and was like, all right, I'm going home. Y'all are fucking nerds. And he was fine. He was totally fine. We were like, you can't drive. You're drunk. And he was like, no, you're drunk. And I'm fucking bored. I'm going home. <laughs> yeah, never again. That was one. That was one. So you built up a tolerance to a point where you could drink a fucking bottle. I mean, yeah, we but did, that was we over. That was over 12 hours, too. We did start at 7 a.m. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that was not three for lunch. I know. Jesus Christ. It's tough. It's tough to comprehend. But who knows? I mean, I I luckily don't think I've been around somebody who drinks that much in one fucking day. So I, I'm not really sure how he would be able to do this, but it seems like he was doing it for years and years. So I wonder how, if there's a certain point when your tolerance drops off or also how big were the bottles, whatever. In November of 1970, the doors clashed with their label Electra for deciding to release a compilation album for Christmas sales called 13. Um, on the cover, they put a giant image of Morrison when he was young, and he was pretty upset over that, probably because at the time of its release, he was feeling self-conscious, he was overweight, he had grown a long beard, he just didn't look as hot and babely as he used to, and he was pretty upset that they would use this old photo. I know the feeling. Isn't the rest <laughs> of the band also, like, that's not them currently, it was also a young photo of the rest of the band. I think so, but I'm I'm pretty sure because it was him in a big blown i don't think the uh, the rest of the band changed that much true in how they looked he definitely had and he used to be this like fucking sex icon and then yeah he, we're talking like a, over a span of like four years yeah he mm, like i guess he changed a lot really let himself go and started gaining a lot of weight and just wasn't feeling as good as he used to i guess so because of this imagery on the album jim threatened to leave but he had a contract for one more album so work on that one la woman began 
Now, Jim turned 27 on December 8th of 1970 and recorded a poetry session, part of which is available on The Doors' final album, An American Prayer, which came out in 1978 after Morrison's death. The group went on a short tour in promotion of L.A. Woman, with Jim's final concert resulting in a breakdown on stage at the warehouse in New Orleans. Halfway through their performance, Jim started slamming the microphone stand on the stage, destroying the stage floor like it was splintering. Jim sat down at the end of the show and refused to perform. And following that concert, the other band members came to the tough decision um, to discontinue performing live. What a killjoy for the rest of the band. It's clear they really wanted to play, but he had, you know, he was such a big whiny baby that they couldn't do what they loved. Yeah, but at least they had, I mean, the thought to look out for his mental health. So there's that. So stuck in their contract, the group did continue to record music. So um, like I said, they returned to the studio in 1970. They released L.A. Woman the following year, which went on to be their second best-selling album after the debut. I also have a t-shirt with the image of L.A. Woman on it. Uh, Morrison was not exactly consistent with his attendance to those sessions, but he was more sober and easier to work with. This album contained hits Love Her Madly and Riders on the Storm. Riders on the Storm was the last song recorded by all four members of The Doors, as well as Morrison's last recorded song to be released in his lifetime. The single was released in June 1971, entering the Billboard Hot 100 the week ending in July or ending July 3rd, 1971, the same week that Morrison died. I think this might be my favorite Doors song, and for a weird reason. Uh, there's a game called Need for Speed Underground 2 from back in the day, <laughs> like mid-2000s, <laughs> and they had uh, Snoop do a version of this song oh. for the game. I think it was... What? Yeah, it was it, it played in the game menus. Had that super, same super chill vibe, had a little bit of, you know, Snoop's beat put to it or huh. whoever made I'm the beat. I'm adding it to the playlist. And, uh, what, was he like rapping over it? Yeah, well, he, huh. it was... Do you want to play it? It was a combination. Like they still had Jim in there, they still had the keyboards, and then Snoop would come in, and uh, cool. it was cool. I really liked it, but it's it's one of those things that's just kind of seared into my brain just from playing video games. I, Jim's friends said that he was deeply depressed. He was out of control and completely inaccessible. When they finished recording, Jim moved to Paris with Pamela Carson. Um, his bandmates supported that decision. And so he moved to an apartment there in March of 1971. Jim would write to his friends while he was there, describing his solo walks through the city. And while he was there, he did intend to write, but he was experiencing extreme writer's block. So he continued to drink and was likely using cocaine and heroin. He was drunk, disorderly, and sometimes even violent. Uh, on July 3rd of 1971, two years to the day after the death of Rolling Stone's Brian Jones, Jim was found dead by Pamela Carson in the bathtub of his apartment around 6 a.m. at the young age of 27 years old. Officially, it was ruled heart failure, but French law did not require an autopsy, so nobody really knows what happened. I'm curious to know if that uh, no autopsy thing had anything to do with the French Revolution. Why? Because they just beheaded a bunch of people, and they didn't need to do an autopsy. <laughs> oh, well, 
that makes some sense <laughs> okay. there. Okay. Yeah. All right. So some eyewitnesses, uh, alleged, reported that it was actually a heroin overdose. But as we've learned in previous episodes, friends would come through and clean up the stash so that it would not be found by police. Okay. So tampering with evidence, as we have stated before, is not helpful. So stop doing it, y'all. You are not helping because this happened in 1971. I'm just saying. In general... <laughs> Especially now, don't do it. So people people said that, oh, yeah, I was an eyewitness, whatever, I was there, and it was totally a heroin overdose, but mm. we don't, we're not going to really know, especially if there's no autopsy, like, what the fuck? And with people historically messing around with the crime scene, there's really no way to know. So while Jim and Pamela were never married, she was listed in his will as his heir and was entitled to his whole fortune but she was tied up in the legal system for the next two years battling for her inheritance it was argued that she was essentially his common law wife although they'd never actually filed any paperwork hmm. so i got a little bit more here on pamela we didn't really discuss her a whole lot but uh she we was mentioned. now yeah we mentioned her a couple times uh so she was born pamela susan corson on December 22nd, 1946, in Weed, California. Nice. Yes. That's a thing? Yeah, Weed, California. Fuck yeah. Uh, unlike Jim's super classy family names, Pamela was born to Columbus and Pearl Corson, hmm. a.k.a. Corky and Penny Corson. I love the nicknames, though. Corky. Corky and Penny. Cool. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, Jim and Pam met at London Fog in 1965 while Pamela was an art student at L.A. City College. That toxic relationship we mentioned involved all kinds of what are described as loud arguments and numerous counts of cheating by both parties. I guess because you said they had like an open relationship type of deal going on. I don't on, know so. if it was officially agreed that it was open, but yeah. they were both pretty much also fucking other people it, the whole it, time. So That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Sounds like one of those crazy on and off again situations over mm -hmm. several years. Fast forward to Jim's death. Uh, his will says he was an unmarried person, but listed Pamela as heir to his fortune, like you just said. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, this led to lawsuits over the next few years, keeping it all tied up in the courts. Almost three years later, on April, tw April 25th, 1974, Pamela died at the age of 27 mm -hmm. of a heroin overdose in, uh, in an L.A. apartment. Her yeah. remains were cremated and placed in a mausoleum in Santa Ana, California, with a plaque that reads Pamela Susan Morrison, 1946 mm -hmm. uh, to 1974, even though it was never her legal name. Corky and Penny inherited Jim's fortune from their daughter, which brought on more legal battles from Jim's parents until 1979 when they agreed to split the earnings equally. Jeez. I mean, the fact that his parents got any money to begin with is kind of messed up because... True, his parents were kind of shitty to him and his dad told even... him, you're a piece of shit and you suck at music. Right, so why would you want part of your son's money if you didn't believe that he was true well, at his money. fame? Yeah. Gross. So Jim is buried in Perry. La Hayes. Oh, that's not right. <laughs> I don't know how to speak French. That was very Yiddish. Probably La Chaise. Very yeah. Yiddish of me. La Hayes. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Anyways, he's buried in Paris. The same graveyard as Oscar Wilde and Edith Piaf. Is that how you say it, Piaf. Cassie? 
Piaf, I was, I was there. I was right there. And many more artists and poets. His grave, sorry, his grave site was unmarked until French officials put a shield over it, but the shield was stolen in 1973. And then a marble bust was placed on his site, but that was defaced and also stolen in 1988. Can you people stop being shitty for five minutes? Honestly. <laughs> no. Calm down. Uh, I Knock mean, it off. he's a legend. Of course, yeah. they're going to try to steal. Did he ever get a new, like, at least tombstone or something added? Yeah, so his dad ended up paying for, like, a flat mm. um, plaque on that had his name on it for him. Um, so the Doors wanted to continue on, and they had already begun working on another album called Other Voices while Jim had been in Paris. They contemplated adding Paul McCartney on bass and Iggy Pop on lead vocals, but obviously that never happened. Krieger and Manzarek took over vocals themselves. They released Other Voices in August of 1971. Uh, they continued performing and releasing albums, but they were obviously struggling. The Doors contract ended and they broke up in 1973. Okay. Now, in 1978... An American Prayer was released. We mentioned this earlier. Um, it contained recordings of Jim reciting his poetry with the band adding an instrumental backing to it. Now, this one went platinum. In 1993, the Doors were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and the surviving members played Roadhouse Blues, Break On Through, and Light My Fire. Eddie Vedder of Pearl Jam performed vocals, and I honestly can't think of anyone more appropriate to do the honors. That's true. Um, Doors drummer John Densmore released a book in 1990 entitled Writers on the Storm, detailing the story of his life and times with the group. In November 2009, the song itself was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame under the category Rock Single. Hmm. Yeah, because it was like super influential. Yeah. Um, yeah, great song. So in conclusion to Jim Morrison's story, it's safe to say that no, drugs and alcohol are not some magic combination of creativity unlocking substances. Although Morrison found success while he happened to be using, you can't say that one led to the other. Right. Perhaps it was the public fascination with the shit show of his entire deterioration that led to Morrison's infamy. Because of his self-destruction, we'll never know what other works of art could have been dreamed up and shared with the world. And how much bigger Jim Morrison's impact and legacy could have been on the artistic community. That's true. And with that, we wrap up our 27 Club bonus season for Death by Music podcast. Thank you guys for coming on this journey with us. It and was fun. Yeah. Learned a lot. A lot of really good uh, musicians that we have covered and again I mean I know we say this every episode but it's just crazy to think that these people only live to be 27 years old considering the fact that we are all older than 27 and have had not even a drop of the amount of impact that even one of these people has had on the world <laughs> yeah. it's like really holy fucking shit I just can't believe they were all so young with with all of the episodes, we want to encourage you guys to listen to the playlists that Cassie has so diligently put together. You might find Miss New Booty on there, but <laughs> it's cool. I should put it on all the playlists because that song we, is I so feel good. Like, I feel like we talk about it every episode, and if you don't hear about it, just know that I'm cutting it out behind the scenes. Um, <laughs> because we always we talk really? about it. We talk about it a lot. I, it, it's like, you know, oh, so you know how we talked about the songs that kind of just come out of your brain when the rest of your brain is quiet. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just mentioned that. I just started putting a playlist together of all the songs. We talked about that. 
Oh, no. Instead of like, well, I was going to initially just like write them all down. And then I was like, no, this is stupid. Like you have Spotify. I have Spotify. I will just make a playlist of all the songs mm. and then just share it with you. Big brain. So I've been working on that. Um, but my brain hasn't been that quiet because I have anxiety. <laughs> so <laughs> um, it's just a lot of me mumbling to my, it's like I, my brain is just me talking to myself right now. But mm. eventually once it's, once I've calmed down. And the holidays are over and maybe I'll have some. But like Miss New Booty's always on the back. Miss New Booty's always playing on the playlist. It actually came on when I was at kickboxing today and I was like, yeah. And it was like day two. So I was like, booty, booty, about to be rocking everywhere because here it comes. I'm creating a booty right now. Oh, yeah. As I do these squats. That's not how my butt sounds. (laughs) Daniel has a huge butt. That's how his butt is. (laughs) Daniel's got to ass that clap. He has a huge butt. We need a demonstration. Well, let's say it loud enough so he can hear us. <laughs> no, from the other he's room. got noise canceling headphones. Oh, right, on. right, right. You did mention that before. Yeah. Well, anyway, he likes to ignore um, me when I talk to him. We really, so. The whole point of that was that we want you guys to check out the playlists because, I mean, obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you are a music fan. But, uh, but. that's that's like the most important part. I have definitely listened to shows on musicians before without listening to their music, and I don't know. I, I think to get the full context and the full story and really get to know this person as a musician, you got to listen to their music. So and disregard the Miss New Booty if you must. But you shouldn't. You shan't. You shan't. You shall, shall listen to Peace. Shall not Go listen to Peace Frog. I also am a big fan of the end. The song like or like just in general? The end of this podcast. Uh, yes. That's uh, what I'm really looking what, forward to. We're no, winning. Bye. <laughs> No, the song, the end. Anyways, go listen to oh. the playlist, and um, you can find that as usual in the description for this episode. But again, I mean, wow, we just don't know how to shut the fuck up, or maybe I don't know how to shut the fuck up. I'm just really going to miss you guys for like the two weeks that are in between this and the next episode that comes out on the main feed. We're starting season four soon. Make sure you're subscribed to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher, Amazon, like whatever the fuck. If the you're listening Stitcher. to this, what's Stitcher? <laughs> oh my god, you're on a fucking podcast and you don't know what Stitcher no. is. It's fine. <laughs> it's just another platform. Oh, this all is right, my band aid. Cool. Yes, I do want to see your band aid. It's narwhals. narwhals. These are for children. Ear, ear. <laughs> Remember you mentioned the B52s earlier. <laughs> Oh, you were trying to rock a lobster to narwhal? That's part of the fucking song. Oh. There's like a breakdown in the middle where they're like, in walked a catfish, in walked a dogfish, something about a narwhal. Oh, and they're no. like, ear, ear. That's the noise that the narwhal, don't take it off in front of me. God damn. Cassie's peeling off her bandaid in my fucking face. And with that, we must leave. Rest in peace. Thanks for being here. Goodbye. Say goodbye. Before you do that, <laughs> god damn it. <laughs> I'm may. Why oh are you god. go out of the room? <coughs> Ew, what is uh. Oh, later. You don't even know what I'm happened. Dying here. You don't even know what happened to me. You don't even know. Music by Demons, at Demons Band on Instagram. Artwork by Mike Johnson. Writing and production by Cassie Gardner, Alex Motler, and Jake.